Well, praise the Lord. I'm going to show you a little bit of something first, and then I'm going to do what Brother Todd asked me to do. So go on, Todd. This was our first Christmas in 1989. You can see we had about 10 children. When we went to Guatemala, we thought we'd take care of about 25 kids total. We were 45 years old. We thought if we could handle 25 children and watch them grow up and get them saved and get them an education, that it would just be truly, you know, a blessing for Dottie and I. But God, in his wisdom, had a different idea altogether. <laughs> that picture has 529 children in it. It takes a little while to go through them now that it's been 30 years. <laughs> okay, now. Since I, in 89, God has given us 5,868 children. Um, go on, Dottie. This is Dottie making roux for gumbo for 400 children. So if you think it's rough, it's your house. Go on. People ask me about the volcano and how it affected us. And if you'll notice, on one side is the lava and on the other side is not. We live on that side where there's no lava. This side, this is what it did. Go on. That's the pyroclastic cloud that came down 1,600 degrees. It it froze over 500 people in place. They were frozen. It, it came so fast they didn't even have time to run or get out of a chair. It just happened immediately. Go on. And this is what our property looked like. These are soldiers. You see they're sweeping ash. And that's the type of ash that we had. But look at what those on the other side had. That's what it looked like on the other side of the volcano. So God protected us. God blessed us. And we are so grateful for that. And then one more picture, I think. And that's Doris. That's Doris. Pastor Todd asked me to share with you just some things that occurred to Daddy and I in our lifetime. I was born in Bunky, Louisiana. I was born in a broken home. My mother was an alcoholic. My older brother became an alcoholic and committed suicide. My younger brother became an alcoholic and became a heroin user and died from a heroin overdose. So by the time I was a senior in high school, I hated alcohol with all my heart, and I wanted to get as far away as I could from Bunky. In my senior year, I was given a scholarship to the University of Tennessee and thought that I was going to be able to get away from, from my home and away from that abuse. And one day my father had an accident on an oil rig, and when they examined him, he fell, and when they examined him, uh, they also uh, saw that he had diabetes. They said that he had to have both his legs amputated, and he refused to do it, and they told him his life span would be very short because of that. So I decided not to go to Tennessee. I went to Northwestern. That way I'd be closer to my father. At the same time, I was being raised uh, without the word of God. I was, I was, uh, and, and it doesn't matter. Don't let me offend you. I was raised in a Roman Catholic home. I went to a Catholic school. I went to mass every day of my life. And I thought that I was a Christian. But you can be a Baptist or a Methodist or anything and not be a Christian. It's, it's your relationship with Jesus Christ that makes you a Christian. So don't let me offend you if you are Catholic. But the 
But the thing was, I was raised in that type of home. And at the same time, my wife was being raised in Arkansas. And her father was a Southern Baptist pastor. Dottie was raised in the church. She literally was raised in the church. And her mother passed away when she was very young. And so uh, her dad remarried. And when he remarried, he married a woman that had a girl the same age as Dottie. So they went through school together all, all the way. And Helen was not a very good person in Dottie's life. And so when it came time to go to college, Helen wanted to go where Dottie wanted to go, which was Washita Baptist. But Dottie did not want to go where Helen was going. So she said, I want to go where Mama went to school. So she came to Northwestern. When she got to Northwestern, I was dating a girl by the name of Judy. And Judy and I were in the lunch hall one day. And I was sitting across the table from Judy. And I, uh, she could tell, Judy could tell, I was watching a girl walk behind her. And so she said, who are you looking at? And she turned around and she said, oh, that's my roommate, Dottie. And I tell everybody, I fell in love the moment that I saw Dottie. I fell in love with her. 17 years old, and I was absolutely, totally in love with her. So Dottie went on. She just introduced herself, and then she left. And I gave Judy a two-week notice. And so we... We broke up two weeks later, and I, I asked Dottie to go out with me, and she said no. And and I just couldn't understand that, so I waited a week or so, asked her if I could go out with her, and she said no again. So I went home, you know, and I looked in the mirror, and I said, how in the world can she keep saying no? I don't understand at all how she can turn this down. But she kept saying no. And one day I asked her, why won't you date me? Why won't you go out with me? And she said, because you're not a Christian. And it offended me from the top of my head to the tip of my toes because I was a faithful church goer, but she knew that I did not have Jesus Christ in my life. And then a situation occurred to where she brought me to meet her family. Not not boy-girl type of thing, but we went to Arkansas because of the situation, and I met her family, and they were extremely rude, rudest family I've ever met, and... and uh, they were just terribly rude. And I woke up the next morning laying on my back and looking down at me was her daddy. And and he said to me, I had not met him, and he said to me, my name is J.W. Butner, and I want to take you to breakfast. So get up, get dressed, and let's go. And we did. And I thought, here it comes. The Baptist pastor's going to beat up on this poor little Catholic boy. you know. And, and he brought me to a restaurant, and we go in the restaurant, and as we enter the restaurant, every table is filled with men, just men, no women, all men. Every chair was taken by a man. And I thought, my God, he's brought every deacon in Arkansas. You know, they're coming after me. And he brought me to the first table. And when I went to the first table, uh, he said, gentlemen, this is Mike. He's Dottie's friend. He drove her up here. And all four of those men stood up and shook my hand. And then we went to the next table and they did the same thing. And every man in that, in that restaurant shook my hand and two of them hugged me. And my father had never hugged me. I had never had a man hug me. So I was totally confused as to what was going on. And we ate and we left and we went to a little clinic. And in that clinic were 10 beds 
And he went in the first room, and I thought he knew the people, but he didn't. He went up to the bed, and he told the man, he said, My name's J.W. Button, and I'd like to pray for you. And the guy said, Fine. So he prayed for him. Then he turned around and asked the family if he could pray for them, and they did. And then he went to every room. We went to all ten rooms, and he prayed for everybody. So I'm totally confused. You know, I've never seen this type of thing. Never seen men, you know, they were so kind to teenagers and, and etc. And when we left there, he said, Mike, I'm going to visit someone that came to our church last week. And uh, so I'll drop you off at the house. And I knew I wasn't going back to that crazy house. So I said to him, I'd rather go with you. And he said, come with me. And here's when Jesus started. When we got there, the couple sat on a, on a couch. And the woman was on this side, and I was sitting in a chair. She was here. I could lean over and not touch her. I was that far away from her. On this side was my future father-in-law with the man, and they were almost knee to knee. And he said to the man, after they talked a moment, he said, Are you a Christian? And the man said, Yes, I am born again. And when he said, born again, it brought me back to my father. When my father fell on the rig and broke his back, a double break, he, he landed on two gas lines on his back, broke his back, snapped it in two places. And so he was crippled and, and etc. But when he fell, another man had fallen. And the other man was declared dead. They put him in a body bag. And when they, they didn't have helicopters, they used speedboats and they brought him out of the Gulf and they brought him to, you know, my dad to Oshner's clinic. The ambulance was there at the dock and they took the other man to the morgue. And when the other man got to the morgue and they opened the bag, he sat up. He sat up and all they could figure was that the hit beating of the boat on the, on the Gulf had, you know, resuscitated him. So the next day in the newspaper, the next day in the newspaper, there's a little article. And the article said, born again. And it tells the story of this man falling off a rig, getting killed, and being alive when he got to New Orleans. And so when he, this man said to my father-in-law, yes, I am born again, I thought, my goodness, he's died. He's come back from the dead. I want to hear this story. So I take my chair and I move my chair closer and the woman leans over, and I almost kissed her. She just leaned over, and she was right here, you know. And when I got right there, she said, we are both born again. And I thought, oh, my God, a double murder, double, you know. And I'm, I'm going to be able to go back and tell all the football players this unbelievable story, you know, about these two people raised from the dead. But then she said to me, you know, to my father-in-law, she said, we were both born again. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Now, when she said that, it almost electrocuted me. The Spirit of God fell on me like nothing I'd ever seen in my life. Now, I want to tell you something. You see, when I saw Dottie, I fell in love with Dottie. But it wasn't a teenage love. It wasn't that kind of love at all. I, and I couldn't understand it because when she kept telling me no, would not go out with me, I I kept after her. If it would have been a n normal love, I would have just said, well, I'll just find somebody else. 
but I couldn't get away from my relationship with Dottie, even though she didn't want me. She was keeping me at arm's length, but I was totally, absolutely in love with her. And when we left that day from that couple's house and we went to the car, I was walking behind him, and all of a sudden I realized I am in love with him the same way that I am in love with Dottie. And it just confused the daylights out of me. How can you feel like that about a man? How can you have that type of love that you have for this girl and you have it for this man? And then we got back to Northwestern. Uh, On Sunday morning, uh, I woke up and he was standing over me again. And he said to me, Mike, we don't have a Catholic church in Cross, Arkansas but we have an Episcopal church. And if you want to go to the Episcopal church, I'll drop you off. And I said, no, sir, I, I want to go to church with you. Now, you have to remember in 1960, if you're that old, you know, back in 1960, nobody's that old but me, but but uh, back then, if you, if you were a Catholic and you went to a Protestant church, you were excommunicated from the church. So when I said, I'd rather go to church with you than go to the Episcopal church, I was literally taking everything that I had ever learned, you know, and and putting it out there on the line. Now, the next few minutes became critical in my life because I said, I want to go to church with you. And I went to church with him. And Dottie brought me right up to the front row. I mean, we were sitting right on the front row. And I I had no idea what Baptists did. You know, I, I knew Catholic genuflected and we stood up and we knelt down and you know, we did all kinds of things. Baptists didn't do nothing. And and I'm on the front, and I didn't understand at all what was going on. I just sat there. And he got to the end of the message, and he said, Is there anybody here that needs anything? And that was all he said. And I had never seen an invitation. I'd never seen anybody, you know, go forward in a church. But I went forward. And when I went forward, I took his hands, did not even know what to call him, so I said, Mr. Buckner, uh, I don't know what, you know, what I need, but I know what I want. I want whatever makes you who you are. And he said, Mike, let's go uh, to lunch together and then we'll talk. And we did. And that was 56 years ago. And Jesus Christ came into my life 56 years ago and at that uh, cross at Arkansas. And then God started to work. Dottie eventually would date me. As, as you know now, we've, we've celebrate, celebrated 55 years together. But Dottie started to date me, and we went to California, and that's where our first child died. So we came back to Louisiana, and I went back to Northwestern to get my master's. And uh, we, we had a situation where our daughter was born, and uh, she had the same heart disease that our first child had had, and we were told that she would not live more than three to four months. Well, at the same time, the University of Florida, and I am an LSU fan, but the University of Florida offered me a scholarship for a doctorate. And I knew, because the doctor had told us our baby would not live but three months. So I knew I was not going to Florida. But Dottie insisted that we go, and we went to Florida. And when we got to Florida, 
a physician took our baby, a Shands Hospital took our baby, and the University of Florida and Shands Hospital paid every penny. And our child that was supposed to die at three months of age lived to be nine and a half years old. Nine and a half years old. And it was just a miracle of God that that had happened. But we adopted a boy in in Florida, and we come back to Louisiana, and we had a third child that was born with the same heart disease, and he died at birth. So Daddy and I started adopting children, and we left the ministry. We left the, I was working at Pinecrest, and we left there, and we went into ministry. Long story how we got to ministry, but we started a ministry, and we ended up at the old teaching center uh, downtown here in Lafayette, and that's where we met uh, Brother Francis, and who uh, Family Life is one of three churches that began sponsoring us back in 1989, and is still helping us in all these many years. Glory to God. Uh, in fact, all three churches that started with us, Northside in Crowley, and Word of Life in Patterson, uh, and Family Life, you know, were the three churches that sent us there. And we never thought we'd need more than what they were giving us. <laughs> But then God gave us 500 children to feed, and it, it turned out to be we needed a little bit more than that. But God has been very faithful to us. But we decided then, uh, at that point, we came back and we were working at Pinecrest, and the governor called me. And the governor said to me, Governor McKeithen, he said to me, Mike, I have a child that's born. He's the grandson of one of my biggest supporters, and he's retarded. And I need to get him in the pine crest. Would you, you see that it's done? Well, we had over 2,000 children in pine crest and we had a waiting list of 3,000. So I had to jump 3,000 people to put that child in a bed and I felt that was immoral. And this happened to me four or five times from the governor. And one day I was extremely aggravated, extremely angry. And I went over to the hospital and in the hospital we had 300 cribs. And those cribs were like this, little bitty cribs. And in those 300 cribs were 300 people. Not all of them were babies. Some of them were 60 years old. But none of them were longer than 25 inches long. They were all little, you know, children as far as size goes. So I walked in there, and what I would always do would be to take a child out of the bed, put it on the floor, and four or five kids, and then I'd lay down, and I'd let them crawl all over me. And they'd kiss me and lick me and all of that. And that's how I got rid of my stress. Well, that particular day, the governor called me, and he said, Mike, I've got twin girls. So now I had to find two beds, and it was immoral as far as I was concerned, and I was very angry. So before going to get the the beds for those two children, I went to see the babies. And when I got to the babies, I started to take a child out of the out of the crib, and when I did, I looked up, and in the back of the room was a hospital bed, an, an adult hospital bed. So I knew a hospital bed wasn't supposed to be in there, and I started screaming, you know, get the janitor, I want that out of here, I'm just acting like a fool. And the nurse just stood there and looked at me, and then when I finished, she said, Dr. Clark, would you go back there before I go get the janitor? 
And when I went back there in that bed, an adult hospital bed with sides, the sides were down, and in the bed was a child who had a head somewhere in this area. He was hydrocephalic, and he had this large head. Couldn't even put the sides up on the bed. And his body was only about that long. And when I walked up to him, I put my hand on him. He grabbed my thumb and started shaking my thumb and and just going berserk. And he had no eyes. There was nothing there and no ears. There was a hole and a hole for his nose and his mouth. And that was it. And little bitty thing, arms like a Barbie doll, a little bit longer than a Barbie doll. And he could move his arms, move his legs, of course, but nothing else. So I put my hand on his chest, and when I did, he grabbed my thumb. And when he grabbed my thumb, you know, he he just took off. Well, he was doing like this with my thumb. His little feet were going, his arms were going. And God spoke to me for the first time in my life, that I knew it was God personally speaking to me. And God said to me, Mike, he is happier than you are. And I knew that was true. And so I played with him a little while. And I kissed him on the cheek, and then I left. I went to see him every day for 30 days. On the 31st day, I went to see him, and the doctors were outside. And when I walked up there, I said, you know, he's died, hasn't he? And they said, yes, he's died. I said, what did you do with him? And they said, well, we called his parents, because that's the law. And the parents said, just throw him in the trash as far as they were concerned. So I said, what did you do with him? And they said, he's waiting for you, Mike. So I went in the back, and I took his little hand, and I put my thumb there, and we played for a moment, you know, and then I kissed him. And then we we had the funeral. Daddy and I were the only two at the funeral, and we had to make a funny-looking box in order for his head to fit, and etc. And when we put him there, in order to put him in the ground, I knelt down next to the box. And when I knelt down next to the box, I leaned over, and I kissed you know, somewhere that I thought his little cheek would be, you know, and and I said to him, son, this is the first time that you can see me. And this is the first time that you can hear me. And when I get to heaven, after I do whatever you do when you first go to heaven with Jesus and everything, I want to see you because you have forever changed my life. And then... A week passed, and I called the governor, and I resigned. And what God did in 1981 was he had a man call me and tell me, Mike, I want you to go with me to Africa. And I said, Charles, I, don't, I, I can't leave. He'd go for three months. I said, I can't leave my church for three months. How much does it cost? And he told me. So I sent him a check for that and told him to get another pastor to help other pastors. In 81, he called me. In 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, and 87, he called me and said, I want you to go with me to Africa. In 1988, he called me and he said, Mike, I want you to go with me to Guatemala. And he told me the price. And I thought, my goodness, this is a cheap way to get him to leave me alone about missions. So I'm going to go on a mission trip and I'll never have to worry about missions again as long as I live. The problem was we stayed downtown. And I got up at 4.30 the first morning, and I walked across the street, couldn't see anything, it was dark, and I bumped into something. And when I bumped into it, it was children. And they were like stacked, like 
worms trying to get under the bottom where it was warm. They didn't have shoes. They didn't have jackets. You know, it was damp and cold. And, and uh, I walked a little bit, and there was another group of children. I walked another little bit. I walked nine blocks of downtown Guatemala City of nothing but children sleeping on the street. Some of them were no bigger than four or five years of age. I knew that they had been used. I knew they had been abused. I knew that they were going to have to steal or beg in order to have anything to eat that day, and I began to cry. I went out the next day, the next day, the next day, till the last day, and the last day that I went out there, I started crying before I got across the street even. And when I got to the first stack, you know, I hugged a couple of kids, and I realized I just couldn't go any further. I was just exhausted spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And I went back to the hotel, leaned up against the wall outside the hotel, and I said this to God. God, I don't want to go back to Lake Charles. I don't want to go back and be a pastor. I want to do something for the children here in, on the streets. But I don't speak Spanish. I only have $2,000 in the bank. Uh, I don't have any property. I don't, I don't even have a, but a 30 day visa, the whole thing. And God spoke to me and God said to me, Mike, I don't need those things. All I need is somebody to love them. Now I knew I could love the children. So I come back to Louisiana. Dottie says to me, when are we moving to Guatemala? She knew we were going. God had already spoken to her in her prayer time. And, and so, Less than just a handful of months later, Dottie and I and five of our adopted children, we adopted five, uh, we have adopted nine children. We had five at that time. And the little girl had died, the third, so she was our third child to die. But we got to, we got to Guatemala and didn't know anybody. Didn't know anybody. So I go to court. And when I get to court, I go in the courtroom. They can't speak English. They get a translator. And I said to the judge, Hi, my name is Mike. And I want you to give me the children on the streets. And she looked at me like I was the stupidest man on earth. And she waited a moment. And then she said, Let me ask you a question. All this is through a translator. Let me ask you a question. What if I went to Houston, Texas? And I went to a judge. And I said to the judge, Hi. I'm Maria, and I want you to give me all the children on the streets of Houston. What would your judge say? And I felt so stupid. felt so ignorant. She says, you have no money. She could tell from the way I was dressed. You have no money. You don't have land. You don't have buildings. You don't speak Spanish. You don't have a legal government government governed in Guatemala. You only have a 30-day visa. And she started naming all of these things. And she, and I started to cry. I'm standing right in front of the judge, and I just started to cry. And she got embarrassed. And so she said to me, you know, if you're willing to study and get all these things done, buy land, build buildings, do all that stuff, we'll give you children. We may possibly give you children. And I was 45 years old, and I'm thinking, by the time I do all of that, you know, I'll, I'll be 65 years old. And so I left there she told me come back monday and i'll give you the paperwork so on monday i went back to court and when i walked in the courtroom she gave me four children 
And then she gave me 21 more children. So Daddy and I had a three-bedroom house we were renting, and we had 25 kids in a, in a three-bedroom house and two commodes in the whole the whole thing. And I didn't see her for a while, the judge. And one day I was in a grocery store, and she was in that grocery store, and she recognized me, and I recognized her. And I asked her, why did you give me those children? Because she ended up giving me a hundred children in just a few months. And I said, why did you give me those children? It was illegal, you know. And she said, when you cried, I knew that you would love them. When you cried, I knew that you would love them. So let me take you back to something. This girl, her name is Doris. For those of you that have heard me over the years, you certainly at one time or another uh, heard this story because she came to us at 18 months of age, and now she's 18 years of age. So you've heard the story of the little girl that the judge called me screaming into the telephone, come to my office now and bring your wife. So Dottie and I drove to that village. We went to the courthouse, and standing in front of the courthouse was the judge and a policeman. And she and the policeman got in my truck, and she said, drive me to the hospital. So I drove her I'm to that hospital, and we go into a room. And when we got into that room, there was a crib in the corner of the room. Nobody else was in the room. One crib. And standing in that crib was this 18-month-old little girl. And what she did when I walked into the room was she started screaming at the top of her lungs. She backed herself into a corner, and she put her hands on, on the wall and her feet, and she started walking up up the wall she literally was terrified of looking at me and so they they told me and the policeman to leave and they gave her an injection and then Dottie and I carried her back to our home for the next three months we had to keep her isolated she could not see even a boy a boy this size she was so terrified she had been raped at 18 months of age 18 months. She was so torn up, it took, I think, three surgeries to repair her. She was just torn apart. Last year, I was walking with her. I never talked to her about the situation, the circumstances. I was just walking with her. And we were, she was in a formal evening gown, and I was in a suit, and we were participating in something. And I was walking with her like that. And for some reason, you know, I just felt in my heart to ask her, why do you remember why you came to Casa? And she didn't answer me first. She just kind of scratched her head. And then she said, I think it was because my mother was poor. My mother was poor. That was one of the greatest miracles that I've ever experienced in my life, was to realize how God can heal memories, how God can heal those horrible things to happen to us as children, 
because so many people go through life carrying the burden of things that happened to them when they were young or, you know, or even as young adults. And they carry those things and they never let those things go. They just carry them. And there she is. And so I didn't say anything to her. I just walked her and we did our thing. And so I want to tell you about one scripture. One scripture. It's actually three verses, but I'm just going to give you something out of one. The Bible says in Romans 8:35, Who shall separate us from the love of God? And then in verse 38, it starts and it says, Neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, death, not height, or any other creature can separate us from the love of God. Now, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. Because this will help all of us. You see, I didn't fall in love with Dottie, with the human love. I fell in love with God's love. See, God gave me his love for Dottie. That's what he did. Because if it would have been my love for Dottie, and she would have said no two or three times, I would have just found another girlfriend. But you see, the love of God cannot separate us from the things that are in our lives. And when we are in love with God, see, that's what I felt for her father. It was God's love, and he led me to Jesus Christ. It was his, you know, God's love that caused me to notice him, to have that feeling towards him. After the day I walked with her, not too many months passed. Just recently, within the last six months, her mother showed up. Now, her mother was under a court order that she could not see Doris ever until she was 18 years old. So Doris had never met her mother. Her mother knew about the abuse and had done nothing about it. So the judge said that she could never visit Doris until she was 18. When she was 18, her mother showed up. It was at that point that her mother, who is not a very nice person, told Doris the story and said it was all a lie. You never got abused like that. Doris didn't even know she was abused. But she told her that story. And so Doris didn't want to have anything to do with her. And a couple of months passed, and then she asked if she could call her mother. And she told her mother, she said, I do not want to go home. I want to go to college. And she'll start college in January. She said, I do not want to go home. I want to go to college. But I want you to know that Jesus forgave me for all my sins. And I am forgiving you and my father for what you did to me. That's called the love of God. That's called a love that cannot be broken. I jotted down a couple of things. That I, the most important thing I wanted to say was, this book that you hold on your lap, this book tells one story. And, and you say, oh, no, 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 there's a story of Samson, there's a story of, you know, all the different people in the Bible and, and etc. No, it's only one story. This book is one story. It's the story of God's love for us. It's a story of God's love for me. And it's a story of 
God's love in me being given to other people, being transferred to other people. And you see, this is what God did between Dottie and I. And I want you to understand that as the years have passed, Dottie and I have experienced many, many problems in Guatemala. But never have we gone through anything like we're going through now in all those 30 years. Uh, we, we have a government that is as bad as can be. Uh, we, we, doctors went on strike last, uh, last two months, uh, two weeks ago. Doctors are not seeing patients. Uh, people are dying in hospitals because the doctors refuse to go to the hospitals. Uh, just horrible things are happening. Uh, inspections. We had an inspection of our home and it, I walked outside and there were seven different government agencies, including the national police, seven different agencies. And every agency had five to seven people with them. Thirty something people investigating our home. And they went in our closets. They went, they, they went everywhere. They looked at everything. They just, they didn't find anything. They interviewed a whole bunch of kids and all the kids, you know, said they were fed and clothed and, and etc. But one of the things that you and I need to realize is that we need to love people. We need to love other people. And we need to love people that our natural love cannot love, cannot love. And I remember the first time I met a rapist, the very first time. I'll never forget that as long as I live. We had a girl that had been sexually abused by her father. And when the mother caught him, he had been doing it for a number of years. And when the father, the mother caught the father, she kicked the father in the face. And the father got up, took a machete, and he hit his wife in the back. And he sliced her spine. So she was immediately paralyzed from the waist down. The neighbors came and got the man, took him to the police, and eventually the girl would come to our home. She could not do anything. She was 15, 16 years old and couldn't even pass first grade material. She couldn't do anything. Emotionally, she was just totally messed up. And then one night, I was preaching to the children about uh, uh, being a virgin. I was talking to the girls, and I was talking about being a virgin. And that's the gift that you give to your husband when you get married, is your virginity. And I was talking to all these girls, and over a 100 teenage girls. And all of a sudden, this girl jumps up, and she's crying, and she screams at me, Poppy, what if you're not a virgin? Can God love you? Will a man ever want you? And I couldn't think of anything else to say, and a 13-year-old girl jumped up and pointed at the other girl. The other girl's name was Amalfi. A po pointed at Amalfi and said, Amalfi, don't you ever say that you're not a virgin because you did not give anything away. And the power of God fell on that group of girls, and there were dozens of girls that came forward and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. That girl's life totally changed. She actually graduated from uh, community college, has a job, is married, has two children, wonderful family, 
and etc. But one day, one day, the guard came to me and said, Poppy, there's a man at the gate. And he says he is Amalfi's father. Amalfi's father. And he wants to see Amalfi. And I was, anger just came all over me. I just, anger just fell on me. And so I said, I, he's going to see me. He's not going to see Amalfi. But somebody had told Amalfi. So as I approached the gate, you know, ready to encounter this monster, as I approached the gate, Amalfi, Amalfi came to the gate. And when I opened the gate, the man fell to his face on the ground in the dirt. And he grabbed her around the ankles. And he was just holding her by the ankles. And he was saying, I'm so sorry for what I did. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And I watched her as she was standing there. And the tears started coming out of her eyes. And they were falling upon his head. And he was holding on to her. And she knelt down in the dirt. She cupped her father's face. Picked her, the father's face up. And said, I forgive you because Jesus forgave me. And now today they have a relationship as a father and a mother. And he's the grandfather of her children and everything. But I want to tell you another story. I think we have time. My clock's up there. <laughs> I, I, I want to tell you. Yeah, we have, it won't take me five minutes. A number of years ago, a girl came to earth. Her name was Ingrid. She was 15 years old. When she came to us, she got saved the following week after coming to our home. We were getting ready to have an all-night service. From time to time, the children would have an all-night service. We'd start at 7 p.m. and end at 7 a.m. Uh, just go all night long. Kids would preach. They'd sing. They'd do skits and everything. Well, we were getting ready to have one of these services. And Ingrid came to me and she said, Daddy, can I give my testimony? And I said, Baby, I don't know what your testimony is. Tell me what your testimony is. And she said, Daddy, my father began abusing me, sexually abusing me, when I was six years old. And when my father died, I was nine years old. And I was so happy that he died. And then I thought, well, that's the testimony. You know, she forgave her daddy. But then she told me the story, and it wasn't the testimony. So I told Ingrid, Ingrid, I don't think you can do this testimony in front of the boys. She said, Daddy, I want to do it. I want to do it in front of the boys. And so I let her do it that night. She gets up there, and she tells them, when I was six years old, my father started abusing me. When I was nine years old, he died, and I was glad. Now, our kids have seen everything. Many of them have experienced exactly what I'm talking about. So they don't get all hyper about stuff. You know, they just kind of sit there when people give testimonies. But then she gave the rest of the testimony. And the rest of the testimony was, Daddy, when I was nine and my daddy died, my brother took over and abused me the next six years. And every time my brother abused me, every time he abused me, he would tell me, 
go take a bath. And I would go take a bath, and it didn't matter how much soap and water I used, I never felt clean. I never felt clean until the day that Jesus saved me last week. I never felt clean for all of those years. So we had a, she, she looked at the teenagers and she started like this. She was just looking at the crowd and we had about 400 kids in there. And she looks at the crowd and she says, you're clean. You're clean. You're not dirty. His blood has made you clean. You're clean. We had nearly 100 teenagers got saved that night. Got saved. At 4.30 in the morning, you know, I'm sitting in the back. Isn't that something? I'm sitting in the back. And she comes back there. And she says, Daddy, you got to take me home. And I said, Ingrid, I cannot take you home. There's a court order where I cannot take you home. And she said, Daddy, God wants you to take me home. So I go where she lived. You don't go in there unarmed. So I went and got my, my nine millimeter and she and I go down into that area and I had to park and we had to walk like a mile down into a valley to her house. When we got to the house, it was a tin building, no floor, no rooms, just one big room, no, no electricity, no running water or anything. There was just nothing. It was like animals lived. So she said, Dad, you cannot come in. You have to stay outside. And I stayed outside. She went in. She didn't come back for an hour. So I decided I better go see if my car is okay. So I walk all the way back up the mountain to where my car is. And I get ready. I'm opening the door to my car. And she comes up behind me. And I turn around. I didn't know who it was. I turn around. And it was her. And she kissed me on the cheek. And she said, thank you. And she went around the car. And I started to open the door again, and I felt somebody else behind me. So I turned around real quickly, and looking into his face, I knew it was that brother. It was the brother. And he's crying, and he grabs me, and he says to me, after all of the sin that I committed against her, after ruining her childhood, she came here to tell me about Jesus. And I am born again. I am a child of God. And the icing on the cake was four years later, she got married. She got married. Guess who walked her down the aisle? The brother. The brother that had ruined her life. But Jesus saved her life. And she had not natural love. She had God's love. God's love. And that's what she manifested. So I want to close with something. I believe that there are people here right now that are having trouble loving a particular person. It could be a person in your family. It could be a person in your church. It can be a person, you know, on your job. But I'm going to ask Dottie to come here. Because we are struggling, Daddy and I, with a situation in Guatemala right now. And it requires the love of God. It requires the love of God. And no matter how much I say I forgive, you know, there are feelings that keep coming back to me. 
and I have to repeat the same thing. I need to get to the place to where I can forgive this person, you know, with God's love, with God's love. And what I'm going to ask you to do is if you are struggling with that type of problem, situation, I don't want you to come up, but I want you to have the courage to go to your feet. Because I'm going to pray, whether you go to your feet or not, I'm going to pray for Donnie and I that we can have the type of love that we're supposed to have for this particular person. So if you are struggling with love, you know you're you're not loving with God's love, and you're struggling with that, then I just want you to stand right where you are. Don't come. Just stand up where you are, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for Donnie and I as I do that. God's love, nothing can separate us from that. But man's love can easily be separated. See, man's love says if. Man's love says if. If you do what, then I'll love you. But God's love says even if. Even if. No matter what you do, I'm going to love you. And that's the kind of love that I need right now. I am struggling. Uh, this whole trip is going to struggle because of a situation. And, and, you know, we need that type of love. So, Father, I come in the name of Jesus, and I love you, Lord. I praise you, Father, and I know that there is nothing on this earth or even beyond this earth that can separate us from the love of God. But, Father, there are so many things that can separate us from the love of man. And we want to just curse that, Father. We want to just get rid of that love for man and get to God's love for, for man that we would participate. I got saved because of a man loving me. That's what got me saved. And we have the ministry in Guatemala because God's love is for those children. And Father, we manifest that love. And I ask now that everyone that's on their feet across this building, that as they stand there and they see in their mind's eye right now what, what I'm talking about and who they need to uh, love with all their all the spirit of God, not just the flesh, but the spirit of God. Father, those songs we sang this morning, those three songs, that's what that's what that is. That's exactly what that is. That's loving people with God's love. So, love, Lord, I ask you to let Daddy and I love this person with your love, and we ask Father that those that are on their feet would love their person with your love. And then, Father, it's done. It's done. It's done in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.